And so we begin our worship today as we sing to the first hymn, O God, you search me and you know me. Let us pray. Lord, you are steadfast. 
You rule over creation, but with a lightness of touch. Each of us is made in your image and bound to you in love. Called to serve each other as we serve you. From the dust you raise us and place us in communities, each with gifts and graces all of our own, but meant for sharing. So Lord, forgive us today if we are sometimes stubborn or sometimes selfish, greedy, and unloving. Forgive us when fear overwhelms us and drives us into poor decisions. Forgive us when doubts seep into us and cause us to question your way. Lord, help us face our fears and our doubts and allow us to have the confidence to bring them to you knowing that you are merciful and forgiving and that you welcome when we seek guidance from you. In a moment of our silent prayer, hear us as we bring before you our personal thoughts and reflections at this time. Thank you, Lord, for listening to us, for accepting us as we are. Give us the strength as we leave this place and move out into the world to make the right choices and help us lead each other always to know you and in keeping with your way today and forever. Amen. So as we begin to think about our theme for the service today, I just wanted to ask, who's the boss in your house? Now, just think about it, don't tell us, but um, generally speaking, we're all of different personalities and different types, and there's a, you know, a kind of way that things work in households. If you live in your own, you've got uh, you know, the freedom to kind of um, boss yourself about but if you share a house with other people, so I wonder who it is for the youngsters. Is it your mum or is it your dad? Don't tell us. Who's the boss? Or maybe it's your cat or your dog. If I was to widen this question, who's in charge? Who's the boss? Who's the boss of Scotland? Who's... <laughs> who's... Yeah... I'm just asking the questions. I'm not expecting answers. <laughs> Who's the boss of the United Kingdom? Who's in charge of the world? You know, there was a time in history when people looked to have somebody in charge who was very much the leader, the person that you looked up to, you looked towards for all decision making. And sometimes I even extended out to actually who's in charge of the world. So if you read some of the stories of the Old Testament, some of the stories that talk about kings and leaders actually suggest that the people believed these people to be in charge of the whole world. Of course, that was in the days before communication and 
The world is much, a much smaller place. It was just your region, if you like. So your leader, your tribal leader or your king was the person in charge. Sometimes we complain about having people in charge of our lives. That could be a parent. It could be a teacher. It could be a head teacher. It could be a first minister, a prime minister, a president. It could be a king or a queen. Other times in life, though, Sometimes we like the fact that we don't have to make all the decisions ourselves. That we're actually quite happy that there are other people who we give responsibility over to to take the decisions that keep us safe. Important decisions about the world and the way it works. Decisions about how we face up to a pandemic or decisions about how we best face up to the challenge of climate change. Or decisions about who keeps us safe in a time of terror or warfare. We like the fact that there are other people who can make these decisions for us. So today as we think about these themes, as we go through our reflection, just hold on to that question in your mind about leadership and how we align ourselves in terms of the leaders of our world and how that affects us in our daily life. Our reading today is from 1 Samuel chapter 8. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, You're old, and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us then a king to govern us like the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to govern us. And so Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Just as they have done to me from the day I brought them up out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so also they are doing to you. Now then, listen to their voice. Only, you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And so Samuel reported all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. And he said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plough his ground and some to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his courtiers. He will take one-tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his courtiers. He will take your male and female slaves and the best of your cattle and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take one-tenth of your flock and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, no, but we are determined to have a king over us so that we also may be like other nations and that our king may govern us and go out before us 
and fight our battles. Amen, and may God bless to us this reading. Prince William will one day be monarch of these islands. Perhaps a time off still, but we know that as the Prince of Wales that that is in a sense his duty and responsibility to one day become the monarch. Recently he was appointed by his granny uh, to be the Lord High Commissioner of the recent General Assembly. And some of you perhaps listened to his speeches at the beginning of the week and then his speech at the end of the week. And perhaps, like me, you were taken with how comfortable and how well he spoke on these occasions. His words and his demeanour during the whole week of being in Scotland were rightly praised for the way he took on the responsibility of Lord High Commissioner. He was also praised by the moderator in his closing remarks for his informality and his personable touch and handling as he met and conversed with people throughout the church and across Scotland. I think what we saw was there was no great show of pretensions or superiority. There was no pomposity and arrogance. He sat there having a pint with uh, some football fans uh, in Edinburgh watching the cup final. It, it just seemed quite down to earth. Now, of course, we live in a monarchy and we're well used to some of the big occasions of our uh, land, the displays of pomp and ceremony. And, and sometimes we can do without that, but other times we sit glued to the television and, and we're actually quite happy to, to watch. There is a sense, of course, that we live as subjects of the Queen. But when I use that word, I, I think that we would probably all agree that we're not subject to her in the way that history tells us uh, subjects had to live in relation to their king usually, or also in terms of the way that the Bible portrays the kings of uh, the Hebrew world. We live in a democracy, but sometimes we even look at the, the central administration of our country, be it United Kingdom or be it Scotland. And sometimes we, like the subjects of old to their kings and queens, sometimes feel that we are powerless, that we worry about that disconnect between the centre and those of us living out in the real world, sometimes we call it. We don't have it too bad in our country compared to some other parts of the world. We know that in some places there are leaders and, and, and presidents, think of Belarus for instance that's been on the news, where leaders are around for a long time and uh, they, they, they seem to rule with that sense of fear. We don't have it too bad. Yet even in our own country we sometimes do question what real voice we have and whether or not the systems of democracy are right. Often we are left questioning the leadership styles of individuals, the thrust of certain policies, the style of government, the system of politics, 
We're left wondering at times about the kind of top-heavy nature of how things are controlled in our country. And we become weary at times of what we see centrally. How well do we trust our leaders? How well do we trust our governments? Do the people that hold these offices represent us? When you think about it, it is remarkably interesting that as people, we both have this sometimes disgust at the fact that other people seem to make all the decisions on our behalf. But at the same time, if we think about it, we're actually quite happy that there are people who take on these responsibilities for us. Even in, the, in our home, can you imagine having to face up to life's challenges and, and not feel that there are people either in your own family or in the city you live, the town you live, or in the country you live, who are there to help you, help all of us, face up to the challenges that we go through. The world would be a very scary place if we had to somehow sort out everything ourselves. We need people. We need systems to trust in. As we consider the world of the early biblical times from our reading today, we are led into a world of political intrigue, all around the issue of sovereignty, the loyalty of the people to the monarch, and indeed the whole idea of divine providence. At the heart of the story is vulnerability. Left without a king or a strong leader to represent them, the people worry about their future. The threat of social implosion without rules, without systems, without proper governance is a big thing. But a greater fear for them is being overrun by their enemies. And as they look across the border, they see their enemies having a king, a human king. And they fear about being overrun by their enemies. And so the people take this to Samuel, their prophet. They believe that Samuel is now too old. Samuel is not up to the job. Samuel takes it personally. Who wouldn't? Yet God seeks to put Samuel right by saying, there, there, Samuel, don't worry about it. It's actually me that they're actually fighting against, that they're angry with. And that's been the case since I led them out of Egypt, since I took them across the wilderness. Complaints, complaints, complaints against me, Samuel. So don't take it personally. It's not you, it's me. But these people seek a king. They seek a leader. They seek somebody to take charge of their lives and for them to be subject to. But God goes on to warn them. Through Samuel, he warns them of the dangers of earthly kings. Installing a monarch, says God, would be asking for trouble. Kingship, no matter how much Israel wanted it, no matter how attractive it might seem, was maybe a bad idea. The validity of God's warning would be played out again and again in Israel's history. If we look at the history from that point forward, it doesn't really seem that the king or sovereignty worked out for the people 
all the way through, if you like, the David line, all the way through to Jesus. God made it plain from the beginning. Appointing a king would be a bad idea. The king would take your sons and put them to war. The king would take your daughters and put them to work. And furthermore, the king would take 10%. He would take stuff from you to use for the benefit of his inner circle. And, of course, he would keep a lot for himself. The king would abuse his power, God tells him. The life and the well-being of the nation was at stake. So many things could go wrong. The monarchy was a bad idea. But bad idea or not, the people insisted, and God relented. God and later the people chose Saul, whose only qualification was that he was tall and handsome, the Bible says. These qualifications got him appointed king, but we know he wasn't a very good king. And as we've said, all the way down through the Babylonian uh, war and then the Babylonian exile, the idea of having a monarch leading that people was proven to be a bad idea. These words of warning that God gave to the people through Samuel were for a particular context, of course. But I think the words of warning apply to us as much today as they did then. I think it's useful for us to remember that leadership is not something to be taken lightly or to be handled frivolously. It is necessary, we might say, that some assume a position of leading us. But for those who do end up in such a position, there is a lesson that leadership must be taken on as a privilege and a responsibility. Now, I know, I think I could probably say it's a pretty safe bet that every time a, a new first minister or a, a, a new uh, prime minister or a new president takes up office, it's probably in their opening speech that they see this as a privilege and a responsibility to be handed this uh, position. So we hear the words all the time. But how well do people in leadership positions carry themselves forward from the day that they take up office? Leadership is ultimately a matter of the heart. Although other leadership qualifications may be needed, like that you can speak well, that you can organize other people, that you've got a good acumen and understanding of uh, world history, of uh, world geography, of science, of economics, of business. Of course, all that matters. But I think what is always necessary is a good heart. It was a good heart that we saw in Jesus, was it not? He himself was of the line of David, but not a king like other kings. Good leadership is a matter of the heart. In Jesus' case, it was a heart turned to God. Sometimes, today, it is that too. Or it needs to be a heart turns turn towards what God's vision is for the world. A heart 
empowered towards the good of all in society. Was Saul a good choice? Was Saul the people's choice? Could God do anything about it? Did God actually embrace Saul as king? Or was God in the position of, I can't do anything about it. The people have chosen Saul. Did God merely relent in the face of being overpowered by the will of the people? Or did God give endorsement? Who knows, we might say. And that's not a cop-out from this minister who's supposed to give you answers to big questions like this. It's a recognition that this is a perennial problem for us. It's It's a question that we've asked over and over again. Those who are elected, those who are appointed to govern, are they, can they be considered to be the representatives of God, divinely appointed? Or are, at times, are they elected to the horror of God, despite God's providence and sovereignty over all things? Finding the answer is never easy. In fact, it's maybe impossible. We know that God can't control everything. Otherwise, there would not be a deadly virus that inflicts pain across the world. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the possibility that we human beings could desecrate the planet. Otherwise, there would be no wars and terror. There would never be the nightmare scenario of living under despot leaders. We know God can't control everything. But God is at work in the world. God can, God does work through individuals. He can work through governments. He can work through all of us. We all have the potential to speak for God and the ability to carry out his actions in the world. Even if we don't know it ourselves, we, on everybody's behalf, believe that God's spirit can work through everyone that we live surrounded by God's wisdom, that we have elements of God ingrained on our soul and character, that we can reveal God and we can give others a sense of God in what we say and do every day of our lives. Now, none of us can truly be God. We can't be God. None of us can say that we know truth. Only God can be God and only God can know truth. Yet God asks us, his people, to engage in the world, in redeeming the world. It means that God needs people to work for the rebuilding of our society and world after COVID, to position themselves as the voice of divine wisdom and love in the middle of all that ails us in the world. It cannot be left to other people. We cannot leave it all to governments and to leaders. Nobody in this world can be trusted as a sole voice or as an influencer on their own. Just as we individuals can't be trusted to know God's concerns and objectives any better than the next person, I think that we can only trust when we trust ourselves as a combined humanity, when we trust leaders, when we trust society, 
when we trust our kings and queens and their subjects, when we trust the whole of humanity together, only then are we in a position to take the skills and wisdom of the whole human family together. And when we give people, regardless of their age, their sex, or their status, a voice in all the challenges that face the world, only then can we have hope in a better tomorrow for the world, a better future for God's world. Let us trust in God and let God's trust in us be put to the test as we go out into the world and work for him. Amen. And may God bless to us this preaching of his holy word.